Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, October 17th. And thank you, as always, for tuning in on what looks like it could be the start of a wet four or five days here in Kamloops. Good show lined up here for you today. In about 10 minutes, I'll be chatting with the Liberals' critic for Public Safety and Solicitor General in B.C. on the one-year anniversary of cannabis legalization. A number of ongoing issues when it comes to pot in Canada and here in B.C., whether it be the distribution and lack of private stores that have opened in most of the province. There's also still no revenue sharing agreement in place between the province and municipalities and its uh, local governments spending millions in administration planning and enforcement fees. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about the opposition about all of that. I'm sure they'll have a few things to say as the NDP members weren't too keen on talking to me here today. In the back half of today's show, yesterday there was an announcement made about a consultant being hired to work specifically with helping indigenous businesses across BC to export products. I'll be joined by Acacia Pangalin- Pangalinen, Executive Director of the Kamloops Chamber, to talk about what that means for indigenous business owners here in Kamloops. And to end things off, I will be joined by Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone. He's been outspoken when it comes to the issue of vaping. And yesterday, the province distributed a media release stating Provincial Health Office Dr. Bonnie Henry has confirmed the first probable case of a vaping-related illness in B.C. And I'm sure Mr. Stone will have a few comments to make on that subject. So we've got a couple of segments with the opposition today and a couple of segments on business, which leads me into today's first segment. After fielding 188 inquiries and hosting nine town tours, the city of Merritt has put their stamp of approval on five foreign businesses hoping to set up shop in the Nicola Valley. It's all part of the provincial nominee program, Entrepreneur Immigration Pilot. Here to talk about that program is Merritt's Manager of Economic Development and Tourism, Will George. Will, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. So these businesses include uh, two trucking companies and three retail stores. Now, I know you don't want to delve too deep into what these businesses themselves are doing, but let's just start by taking an overall look at this uh, BC PMP program. Why was this something that Merritt wanted to get involved in? Yes, of course. So this is one of the many business attraction uh, tools that we use here at the City of Merritt, and this is to um, target particular industries industries coming into the community and um, making it easier for for individuals looking to immigrate um, over and open up new businesses um, to share resources with them and um, explore the community um, providing a you know one-stop shop for uh, business inquiries for for those particular categories we've identified as priorities now 188 inquiries and you, and you got it down to five that seems like uh, quite a lot of work for you guys to do so maybe tell me about the process it took for you guys to get from uh, you know those 100 almost 100 90 uh, looks that you got from uh, foreign businesses and getting it down to five. How difficult was that for you? Yeah, so this is a two-year pilot program. Um, this is the regional pilot, the BCPNP regional pilot. There's multiple streams for the BCPNP program. So there's the base category, uh, and then this is the regional pilot. So we've, uh, with the City of Merritt, um, selected three categories, uh, truck transportation, miscellaneous store retail, and warehousing and storage. So the, the number of inquiries we've received, um, we have approved five uh, for letters of referral, and then those letters of referral with the full 
full application goes on to the province. So that doesn't mean that those five will be um, for sure setting up shops here, but they have received the stamp of approval from the city. And some of those uh, additional um, 200 inquiries that we've received um, could turn into um, other letters of referral. Um, individuals are at different stages of their application. We've hosted uh, around 15 exploratory visits and we have another scheduled 14 um, within the next uh, six months here. So uh, we are expecting um, others to come forward and the BCPNP committee here at the City of Merritt meets monthly to review those applications to see if they are ready to receive the letter of referral from the city and go on to the next, next step. Now, when you talk about those three specific types of businesses that you were kind of looking at, what was it, trucking, um, storage, and, and retail, um, I guess, how did, how did you come about, you know, getting it down to those three specific subjects? Was there a particular things that you were looking at as to what might be viable in merit as a, as a potential business? Yes, of course. So uh, those three categories were, were chosen through the Economic Development Action Plan, as well as the strategic plans that we have in place here at the City of Merritt. Uh, these are three avenues for fast-tracking through the BCPNP regional pilot. Um, if foreign entrepreneurs are interested in other categories outside of that or purchasing a pre-existing business, then we encourage them to go through the base program. And there are, are also um, other avenues for, for the BCPNP program, such as a, a BCPNP tech pilot. So it depends which type of business um, the foreign entrepreneurs are looking for and where we can assist them. So um, those three categories were, were chosen from strategic plans we already have in place. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, so when looking at these five uh, specific businesses that are looking to open that you have, uh, you know, received that approval to uh, continue uh, looking at potentially setting up shop in Merit, I guess, uh, you know, what is the process now that they have these licenses? Can they, is there like a timeline that you're looking for when they might open up or, or how does the process work from there for those specific businesses? Mm -hmm. So for those that have received the letter of referral, the next step is to go on to, uh, they register online. They are invited back for a invitation um, to apply for the work permit and they meet with the provincial government. So there's another, another interview um, and then they go on um, to fill out the work permit application. Um, following that, um, if everything goes according to plan, then they will be setting up shop here in the community and we have a, a support team in place here. Um, not, only just, not only just the city of Merritt, but also community futures uh, Nicola Valley, um, uh, the Merritt and District Chamber of Commerce, our local uh, Work BC, our um, Institute of Technology. So there's there's a uh, group of organizations here that um, are here to support those those new businesses um, as they transition into the community. And the end result that um, this program is uh, providing is um, a location for for new businesses, new residents, and permanent residency at the end of this. So there are a couple additional steps um, following the. Um, the foreign entrepreneurs receiving that letter of referral, but that's the first step. And with this regional pilot, no um, foreign entrepreneurs are, um, are allowed to proceed forward to the next step without the city um, feeling that they will be a good addition to the community, as well as the foreign entrepreneur coming and visiting the city. Uh, usually we're seeing foreign entrepreneurs spending three to five days in the community and um, meeting with um, other types of businesses that are currently in that market. Uh, here with the Merit Manager of Economic Development and Tourism, Will George. Now, Will, a couple couple questions left for you here. Um, when you're looking at potentially having a lot more visits, I mean, we talked about 200 inquiries, so obviously a lot of uh, people looking at Merit as a possible place to open up shop. Do you have any ideas sort of how many more you might be looking at? You've given these five letters of approval now. Any idea how many more you might be looking to give out in the near future? 
Uh, very hard to say. We're usually seeing um, three to five uh, per month that are requesting those letters of referral, but that all depends on um, the number of exploratory visits that we have um, and uh, those that complete their, their application. So um, we will be bringing more forward to the committee, but there, it's hard to estimate um, how many, at the end of the day, letters of referral will be provided. Fair There's enough. no cap on it. Right, fair <laughs> enough. Um, um, well, I know since you are the, the economic development uh, manager in Merritt, I know when I spoke with uh, Linda Brown not too long ago, we were talking about some of the strategic plans that are in place for the community. And, uh, you know, one of the things that she keeps talking about is the, um, you know, the need to diversify the economy in Merritt. So when you're looking at adding different businesses um, and, you know, bringing in some foreign entrepreneurs to help kind of grow the business economy in Merritt, I guess just can you talk about how important it is to diversify the economy in the in a city like Merritt and just sort of where things are for you guys in terms of being able to imply different employment opportunities to the people that work there and live there? Yes, of course. So it fits well within the strategic plan that council uh, just went through. So whether it's talking about uh, downtown revitalization, looking at um, some vacant storefronts here, um, when we go with the foreign entrepreneurs, we show them those opportunities, as well as tell them about what the, the current market is um, for the particular business that they're looking at. So uh, diversifying um, the opportunities that we have here and also providing those opportunities for retraining. So when we're talking about the labor force, to be able to let them know that um, you know, we have the Nicola Valley Institute of Technology here, and we have other education um, providers that um, can retrain the, the labor force if they are starting a business um, that uh, maybe the labor force needs, needs some additional training in um, to diversify the local economy here. Perfect. Well, Will, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully everything kind of goes smoothly in terms of opening up some businesses in Merritt and, and, you know, seeing some more interest in the community. So thanks so much for doing this. Excellent. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Perfect. That was Merritt's Manager of Economic Development and Tourism, Will George. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with the Liberals' critic for public safety and Solicitor General Mike Morris to talk about one year since cannabis legalization. So stick around. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Thursday. We're exactly one year now removed from the legalization of cannabis in Canada. Yes, October 17th, 2018 was the date. Joining me now to talk about how things have gone here in BC over the course of the past 12 months, and if he believes there's anything that could be improved, is the Liberal Critic for Public Safety and Solicitor General Mike Morris. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning, Jeff. My pleasure. So, Mike, let me just start by getting sort of your initial thoughts on how things have rolled out over the last year. I mean, would you say things have gone as smoothly as possible when it comes to the legalization of cannabis here in British Columbia? No, I don't think so. In, in my uh, opinion, and I worked on this file for a couple of years before we changed government, uh, I think uh, government was ill-prepared, even though they had all kinds of advanced uh, warnings on this. Um, part of the problem that we see is the the proliferation of the black market still exists, and I think that undermines the legal uh, process that uh, should be put in place here in British Columbia. And of course, that's led to reduced revenues and and increased costs for uh, local jurisdictions. Um, I mean, is is that sort of the one specific area that you're particularly disappointed in, or are there more than that? Given the fact that you know the the black market, like you say, is still uh, very vibrant here in BC, and that seems to be kind of the case in, in most every other province as well. I mean, um, is that a particular area that you're disappointed in, or are there other facets of the whole legalization uh, portfolio that you're disappointed in as well? 
Well, the, the other issue that I'm con- uh, that I see is, is problematic here is the, the lack of resources on the administrative side for the province to ensure that anybody that applies for uh, uh, legal licensing, uh, doesn't matter what community they're from, their licenses get processed in an expedient manner, in a, in a uh, you know, in a manner where they can at least expect to open a door within six months or a year. Um, they're they're behind. Uh, a lot of the applications uh, haven't uh, had any action on them for months, uh, perhaps over a year now. So I don't think they've adequately resourced that part of government in order to uh, provide that service. Yeah, I suppose like we here in Kamloops have been one of the leaders, I guess, when it comes to, to private sector. We've had, uh, you know, 20 licenses approved by the city. I believe three of those have received provincial approval. So, you know, it's still fairly slow. And uh, I know not many other communities have had maybe even that many open their doors to this point. Um, I guess just what are your thoughts on how slowly the province has moved on approving these private retails? You kind of touched on it there, but do you think that's going to change at all as we move forward here in the, in the near future? Uh, I hope it does. I think the only way it can be resolved uh, at this particular point is to add more resources to that particular office to ensure that the licenses get processed. Uh, you know, there's a screening process, a criminal record check for all the proponents that want to operate these uh, these independent private stores, uh, and that takes time. You know, and I've had experience on that side of the house before, and it takes a lot of resources and a lot of time to go through that process in order to approve a license at the end of the day. Do you think that's maybe one of the biggest factors, too, when you talk about the fact that the black market is continuing to thrive here? I mean, given the fact that there are not very many private retailers, I mean, that's got to be a big contributing factor to the fact that people are looking elsewhere to find their pot. It, it is. You know, it was an issue uh, when we were debating the legislation in the House uh, with this government. Um, one of my concerns was the the amount of illegal marijuana and cab- cannabis that was already on the market that was uh, right across the province here and what steps they were going to do to reduce that black market uh, uh, surplus so that the uh, free enterprise folks could uh, at least have a chance of uh, getting a foot in the door here. But there wasn't a lot of action done. We, You know, Vancouver's done a bit in getting rid of a lot of the illegal dispensaries there, but I think they've just gone underground, uh, and uh, it's still a very prolific enterprise here in British Columbia. Here with BC Liberal Critic for Public Safety and Solicitor General Mike Morris. Now, Mike, you said you had been working on this portfolio, you know, before the change in government. Um, and, and um, you know, obviously being a member of the opposition, you must have, must have a few thoughts on, on the fact that you'd mentioned, you know, you don't think the, the NDP was kind of prepared for legalization, despite the fact that we had quite a bit of notice that this was coming. And I know the federal government actually had, you know, postponed their legalization date, I believe, more than once. Uh, it's getting a little fuzzy now before because it's uh, going back quite a bit of time now. But... Um, I mean, why do you think there was such a um, maybe not taken as, as seriously when it comes to the issue of legalization? Do you think there was just maybe a, it wasn't a top priority for the government? Or what do you think the reason was for being so ill-prepared for legalization? I, th- I think you hit nail on the head. They were, uh, it wasn't a priority for them. They had other priorities with their, with their new government when they came in. And they wanted to focus on those priorities. And as a result of that, uh, I think public safety and the implementation of the cannabis uh, file um, didn't receive the attention and the resources that it should have in order to make it uh, successful. And, and given the fact that you said you were working on this you know, before that sh- switch, I guess, how do you feel the Liberals would have been prepared uh, for this uh, come October 17, 2018? Do you think things would have gone a lot smoother had uh, you had the chance to be sort of the one heading up this, this particular issue? 
Yeah, it doesn't matter which way you cut it. You know, the, the bureaucrats within the uh, public safety ministry did an outstanding job. And, uh, you know, they traveled North America. They talked to the jurisdictions that uh, had cannabis legislation in place. And, and we looked at all of the, the, the pitfalls and the hurdles that we had to overcome, that they had to overcome. So they, w- they were ready. And it was just a matter of this government putting the necessary resources to make it all come to fruition. And uh, so we would have followed through with that. Uh, you know, any time you have a change in government, a significant change like that, it does interrupt the flow of of various activities. And this was right in midstream. So, you know, there, there would have been some interruptions there. Uh, you know, had we remained in government, that probably would have been much smoother. Um, I also want to ask you a little bit about revenue sharing as well, because I know I think that's probably one of the things that might be slowing up municipalities from approving a lot of private retail licenses is the fact that there is no revenue sharing agreement in place with the province. Um, uh, do you do you think that, uh, you know, it, one of the issues that the NDP says is that, uh, you know, it doesn't really made any revenue, so there's no real revenue to share when it comes to uh, cannabis um, dollars coming in. Um, do you think that that needs to be the case for an agreement to become up with? I mean, you know, we could come up with an agreement right now that says uh, if we started a business and we make $10, that first $10, we each get five of those dollars. You, whether that takes a year or 10 years to happen, it doesn't change the agreement that's in place. So uh, why do you think it, it, it has gone as slowly as it has to come up with a revenue sharing agreement? And, and do you think it needs to have taken as long as it has to this point? Yeah, I don't think it needs to have taken as long. And you're very correct. You know, we can come up with an agreement, say we'll split 50-50 tomorrow. Um, we may not have revenues coming in for several years, uh, you know, before it makes that profitable. But at least we can put that agreement in place. Uh, maybe the provincial government is not interested in sharing revenue to the extent that uh, they might have thought they were in the first place. This is a very expensive, um, you know, the legalization of cannabis has added a lot of expense to municipalities, to provincial and federal governments, uh, public safety, policing, administration, health. There's a number of, of areas that have increased costs as a result of that. So I don't know how much revenue is going to be left at the end of the day to share amongst all these different agencies. Well, Mike, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here today. A lot of good stuff there. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, one year since legalization, and uh, maybe we'll chat again uh, in a year from now. Thanks so much for doing this. You, you bet, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Awesome. That was Mike Morris with the Liberal Party. And today is also the first day that products like edibles and oils are legalized. But, of course, that actually means that manufacturers of those products can now submit them to Health Canada for approval. And that takes about two months for that process to go through. So don't expect to see those on the shelves in stores anytime soon, at least if you want to purchase them legally. Coming up after the break, the province hired a new consultant to work specifically with helping Indigenous businesses export products. I'll be joined by Acacia Pangolinan of the Kamloops Chamber after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back here on Thursday, October 17th. The province announced yesterday that it hired a consultant to work specifically with helping Indigenous businesses across BC to export products. That consultant is Daphne Nelson, who's based on the Community Futures Development Corporation for Central Interior First Nation on the Tecumloop Shequemic Reserve. 
Reserve. I'm joined now by Acacia Pangelinan, Executive Director of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. Acacia, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. So I actually had Daphne on my show here on Tuesday to talk uh, cooperative housing, so completely unrelated to this, but just thought I'd mention that she was here not too oh, long okay. ago. She's quite involved <laughs> in the community. Yeah, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, so Acacia, I guess, uh, you know, with the announcement yesterday, just tell me a little bit about this position and how you kind of believe this is going to help First Nation businesses, business owners here uh, in, in the interior. Well, I think the Export Navigator Program is a fantastic opportunity for small to medium-sized businesses to reach different markets. And when we're trying to help businesses be stronger, um, having diversified market bases um, is something that they can do to, to really enhance everything that they do. So um, access to this program is is great, but the fact that we have a local Indigenous business advisor here is is pretty unique. So she's the only one in the province, and that means Indigenous business from all over BC will actually um, be working with her. But it, what it means for Indigenous companies in the region is that they actually get that one-on-one -on -one with mm -hmm. her here um, and have access to her way quicker than people who are in remote communities. Not to say that she won't be working with them, but just a little bit easier access. For sure. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a pretty busy job for her too. Um, so why do you think it's something that has been maybe challenging for this particular population to this point, just to kind of have that, uh, you know, ability to, to look at other markets? Well, I think that uh, this is really the plight of small business, small to medium-sized business across the board, not just for Indigenous business. And it's businesses who don't really see themselves as capable of, of going to that new market. A lot of the time people think export and they immediately think that we're sending things to China. Well, export can mean, you know, to Alberta. Export right. can mean to other places in this country. And so sometimes it's just an awareness piece that our business owners need to really understand that they do have the capacity and the ability to do it if they're willing to put the, the work in and they have access to the financing. So, so given that, I mean, just how important is it to have someone that they can actually speak to to kind of learn those different things? I mean, you know, like you had mentioned, if, if you're just trying to do this on your own, you might be sounding like a, a pretty daunting task for someone to move forward with, but having a consultant and someone that can kind of you know, slowly take you through the process. I mean, that must make things a little bit more uh, easier or even just easier to think about, let alone actually do. Absolutely. Like they, the Export Navigator Program gets businesses ready. So they do everything from market assessment, business assessment. Uh, they're doing market research and testing all before even getting them ready to, to export, right? So they, they really bring them along all of the steps and processes that they need to take. And as a small to medium business size business owner, that is very daunting if you have to do that on your own because you don't know what government departments you need to ask about the rules and regulations. You don't know what needs to be, you know, certified or authenticated from this country before leaving. And to figure that out is a lot of time and money that you're not spending on your business. So this really is a resource for people to help them grow, which is fantastic. And these are people, the navigator um, consultants that they have are, are very knowledgeable and they know what they're talking about and how to um, reach the different government departments that they need to. How difficult of a process would you say this would be to go through? Like without the consultant, if they weren't here, you know, if I just wanted to do this on my own and, and take my business and start looking at other markets to, to start exporting to, is that really, really, really challenging? It, I, I think it is challenging, and I think that when we're looking at the, the size of business that we're, we're talking about, it, it's you know people that are maybe solo entrepreneurs or maybe they only have a couple of employees. So all of that research and work is done after hours or when they're not spending time putting out fires on their day-to-day -day business operations. So that can take up so much personal time and energy and, and research time that uh, it, it's just too big of a job if you're not really ready to move forward with it. 
Yeah, and I guess any business would obviously be looking to increase its profit margins whenever possible. Um, but if you are a small business owner, and like you had mentioned, you might be spending your entire time, um, you know, just working on whatever is right in front of you, and you might not have time to think about necessarily moving to other markets. So having this, I guess, really will help free up that, uh, would you say, that time or, or have at least a partner in crime to sort of look at how you can go about doing that process while still focusing on the task at hand? Absolutely. It's You know that you have someone with the expertise that knows what they're talking about that's there to help you along the way, but still allows you the time to deal with your day-to-day -day operations, which is really, it's it's an awesome opportunity for our business owners. Why do you think it's so important to have someone specifically targeting Indigenous groups? Do you think that that's like, you know, something that needed to happen as opposed to just having someone focus on small business in general, but having someone focused on a specific population, do you think that's really critical here? I think so. I think that, uh, you know, they also announced that they have um, an export advisor for youth and an export advisor for women. And they're also in different parts of the province. And I think that having tailored, specialized help um, for these business owners, uh, understanding um, the rules that they have to go through in their own communities, the, their own business regulations and different traditions that they practice is key because there's already so much of that. So it um, adding this resource that's specific for Indigenous business really will help them because they understand how Indigenous business operates. Perfect. Um, and is this uh, is this going to be a permanent position, do you know, or is this a pilot right now, or I, I'm not familiar? Uh, I'm not sure. I knew that the Export Navigator program was a pilot, and now it, it's now a permanent program with the introduction of these three new positions. So I think they'll probably measure the success of how these three new positions work out and then determine from there. But hopefully we'll see an increase in um, Indigenous businesses exporting in the next year, and we'll have that position around for a while. Um, and just, uh, you know, being with the chamber, you probably have a good knowledge of just how extensive is the indigenous uh, business population here uh, in the Kamloops area or in the interior? Do you know, like, does it, a, does it make up a really large chunk of, of the business community? It does make up a, a chunk of the business community. And right now, our partners at Community Futures, Central Interior First Nation and Tecumlips to Shikwetmik, um are redeveloping an economic development plan to support their business owners. And um, I know that the CF... Um, is seeing an increase in people that they're working with. So I don't have specific numbers, mm -hmm. but what I can tell you just through my partnerships is that there is an increase in Indigenous businesses starting in this region, and um, especially in Kamloops itself. Uh, is there anything you could attribute to why you're seeing an increase? Is this the you know people more aware that they have the opportunities to start their own business, or like what what's leading to a sort of a, a an uptick, I guess, in that? I think it's a mix of things. I think it's the celebration of people wanting to um, celebrate their own cultures. So whether that's sharing you know traditional practices or selling traditional wares that they normally would have, I think people are seeing that now as an opportunity for them to succeed. Not, um, but at the same time, our the resources that are available to Indigenous businesses are, are really doing incredible work. Like, I can't talk enough about the community futures of Central Interior First Nation because, you know, they're, they're getting financing for these companies. They're bringing them from business plan phase all the way into, you know, day one of operations. And they're continuing along ensuring that they're successful along the way. And having those resources available to people, um, it, that really makes for a successful business community.
uh, here with Executive Director of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce, Acacia Pangelina. And so, uh, you know, while I have you here, I, I mean, maybe before I move on, is there anything else that you wanted to add specifically on that Navigator program that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, well, actually, next week, in partnership with Daphne and Community Features of Thompson Country and Venture Kamloops, we'll be hosting a free Export Navigator workshop with Daphne. So if people are interested in learning about what the program is, and even if you're a non-Indigenous business, you can still come and we can get you in touch with the other export advisors. Um, but it's just over lunch at our office at 615 Victoria Street if people are interested in learning more. Yeah, sounds like a good opportunity for some small business owners as well. Um, so yeah, next week I did want to just touch on briefly while we're here, uh, Small Business Week. Um, I guess what, what does the Kamloops Chamber have in, in store for next week? Anything, any big plans that are going to be happening here in, in Kamloops? Definitely. Well, we, we've actually been doing um, events all month for Small Business Month. We've been doing business walks where we've been going to different areas of the community and asking them questions about how is business going and how do you see your business succeeding over the next few years. So um, the data that we've been getting through those walks is really fantastic and I'll be really excited to share that with you all at the end of the month once we've done all our corridor areas. Um, so we have one of those walks coming up next week. We also on Monday have the federal election. So we're really encouraging our business community to get out and vote. Um, we posted videos about where the candidates stand on business issues. So we're hoping that it's a great day for business, but that people are out and voting. Um, Wednesday, we have a Sips and Stories event where we're going to learn about geofencing. It's a totally new subject for me, but okay. um, and how it ac actually we have billboards now in the province that are geofenced and they can uh, track data that's going by them. So we're going to learn huh. a little bit more about that. And then on Saturday, it's the 33rd annual Business Excellence Awards presented by M&P, and that's where we will celebrate 17. Uh, different businesses and people in the community based on you know things like community service, uh, being in environmentally conscious, uh, being an inclusive workplace, um, and that's all taking place next week. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a jam-packed week full of a lot of activities, so definitely looking forward to that. Um, maybe just to get you out of here on this, um, so given the fact that it is a, a celebration of small business, I mean, why is that so important, do you think, to, to kind of recognize the contri contribution that small business makes? I know they make up a large part of the economy, and, and a, lot, a lot of times it's maybe uh, more than people actually think, right, that they contribute to. Um, so just why is it so important to celebrate what they contribute here uh, to a community like Kamloops? Small business is the backbone of every economy. It's the backbone of our province and our country. And it's, you know, regular people that are just working hard to provide for them, their employees, and the community around them. And not all the time do those people, are they celebrated? Do they have time to recognize their accomplishments? Um, and sometimes they need a champ. And that's really what Small Business Week is all about, is celebrating what people are doing day in and day out and giving them a platform to showcase what they do to the community at large. So it's uh, it's a day to thank your local business owner for sure, a week to thank your local <laughs> business owner. <laughs> well, there you go. Hopefully people will take that advice and go out and, and do just that. Thank you so much for coming in, Acacia. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. That was Executive Director of the Kamloops Chamber, Acacia Pangelinen. Coming up, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry has confirmed the first probable case of vaping-related illness in B.C. Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone will join me in studio to talk about that next. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back in here on Thursday, October 17th. 
Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry has confirmed the first probable case of a vaping-related illness here in British Columbia. Here to talk about that is Kamloops South MLA, Todd Stone. Todd, thanks so much for coming in. Hey, good morning, Jeff. So let me just start by asking, I guess, your initial reaction to yesterday's news. I mean, I probably weren't surprised by the fact that it came. I mean, it was only really a matter of time. Well, uh, I would start by saying six months. You know, six months ago, I introduced a private member's bill in the legislature uh, that was focused on taking action to uh, address surging youth vaping rates. Um, I proposed a ban on flavored vape products. Uh, I proposed uh, uh, restrictions on retail, uh, retail uh, opportunities for the products and, and stiffer penalties for noncompliance. And I've been talking, uh, as have uh, a growing number of parents, uh, teachers, educators, uh, health officials. I've been talking for uh, for months about the need for an education uh, program uh, in every middle and high school focused on uh, building awareness, uh, uh, prevention, and, and support, uh, youth-led, uh, to ensure that we're doing everything we possibly can uh, to keep these uh, these products out of the hands of our kids. Six months, uh, and there's been no action to this point uh, on the part of the, of the BC government. So I'm very disappointed about that and frustrated. Um, I understand the health minister is working on, a, on an action plan. Finally, uh, he says we'll see it in the next couple of weeks. I sure hope he hits the mark with it uh, sooner uh, than later. Yeah, and six months ago, I mean, that was really before we've seen this kind of media storm when it comes to vaping, too. I mean, that's kind of been what's taken off in the last three, four months, talking about what's going on in the States. And then, obviously, what, uh, about a month ago, a little over a month ago, we saw the first case in Ontario, and now it's here in BC. Um, I guess just what are you hoping to see in terms of those new regulations and rules around vaping products and how they're marketed? I guess are you just hoping to kind of see it take the same path as cigarettes at this point? Well, there, there's no silver bullet for this, uh, uh, clearly, and, and it's, it's going to require a broad package of actions. Uh, and, and there are things that the fed, federal government needs to do. There's a whole bunch of stuff the province could do uh, and, and should have done, frankly, uh, in, in previous months. But uh, look, I, I, I think we've got to uh, we've got to uh, figure out what what is it that's attract making these products attractive to our to our youth and uh, and and address those issues. That's why I think um, addressing the flavoring issue. Uh, you know, I, I haven't met very many adults that are vaping that are doing it because they can vape a bubblegum fla a fa right, flavor. Right. Um, there's no regulations wrapped around flavoring. There's no regulations on on uh, uh, th that restrict marketing and advertising. Uh, uh, we d we don't even know what's in these products, and now we're seeing uh, the the acute health uh, issues. Um, I think there's been 126 deaths in the United States that's been linked to vaping. Um, thousands more across North America that uh, are, have severe respiratory illnesses. Now we have the first documented case in British Columbia. Unfortunately, it won't be the last. Um, but we've got to we've got to get on with uh, taking action. I think fundamentally, the most important thing the government could do today is announce a, a, an investment in. Uh, uh, these, uh, the, the, an education program in every middle and high school, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, that's youth-led, delivered for, uh, for youth, um, that's focused on awareness, prevention, and support, uh, so that we're, we're doing uh, what we can right now uh, that doesn't, have to, doesn't require regulatory action, doesn't require waiting for other jurisdictions and other levels of government to act, but, but we're taking action now. Now, obviously, in your position, you know, with being with the provincial government, that's obviously where you can kind of have some say in what's happening. But where do you think really this whole ish situation should start? I mean, do you think it should be something that the federal government is leading with and then kind of trickling down? Or is it something that even municipal levels or school boards could deal with? Or where do you think this really needs to begin? Obviously, like you, you're trying to do what you can here at a provincial level. But outside of that, I mean, where do you think the leadership should be starting? Well, I think we just have to look at the at the battle um, on the tobacco front over over really generations to to see what uh, what it took 
to 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 make uh, uh, tobacco uh, use and cigarette smoking socially unacceptable, and and to really drive down smoking rates across uh, all age groups, but particularly amongst youth. Um, it requires a, a broad uh, community effort, uh, all levels of government working together. Uh, there's no question that uh, um, uh, that the federal government has got to step up to the plate uh, when this federal election is over, and and you know they're way behind other jurisdictions in the world in, in developing regulations uh, to address uh, re reporting requirements for vaping products, uh, marketing, advertising. Um, the the flavoring issue uh, and and so forth, um, but again, there's a lot that the provincial government uh, uh, could, uh, can do and should have done by now. And that's where my focus has been. Um, let's get on with an education program, a meaningful, uh, a funded uh, program in every school uh, across the province, to uh, uh, so that our our, uh, our educators have got tools that they can use with parents, they can use with 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 kids, and youth are speaking to youth about this. Uh, and and we could have uh, uh, tightened up the retail. Uh, opportunities in British Columbia. We could have uh, uh, brought in uh, regulations or the restricting nicotine concentrations in, in these products here in BC. And we certainly could have uh, uh, rolled out uh, an education uh, program and, and, and restrictions on flavoring. Uh, the provincial government has opted not to do any of that to this point. Uh, we'll see what their action plan uh, includes uh, and hopefully it, it's coming soon. Uh, we're going to lose an entire school year here if we don't act quickly. Uh, and that will be another, another uh, year's worth of our kids uh, suffering the negative health effects of vaping and potentially becoming uh, addicted to nicotine for a big chunk of their lives. And that is unacceptable. And, uh, you know, today, obviously, there's the um, uh, new regulations coming in with uh, legalization for, for vaping of uh, cannabis. So do you worry, I guess, that this problem is only going to get worse? I mean, that's just one more avenue now where people are going to start vaping for a different reason. Um, you know, you probably weren't vaping... Um, you know, nicotine, if you weren't using that product, doesn't mean you're not going to be vaping cannabis. So I guess, do you have any concern that this is just going to get even worse as we move forward? Oh, I, I do. I, I mean, we, we, uh, we, we, we t you know, today's the official legalization date for, for um, uh, you know, edibles and yeah. included in that is, is vaping um, a can a cannabis oils and, stuff, uh, and oils yeah. And, yeah. and stuff. So, uh, but the federal government hasn't completed uh, the, 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 the actual uh, development of all of the regulations wrapped around this. So we, we, don't, we don't even really know uh, how, how these products are going to be restricted. Um, look, uh, you know, there is a place for e-cigarettes. There is a place for, uh, for vaping products uh, as a, uh, potentially as a smoking cessation tool mm -hmm. for uh, adults who have been addicted to traditional cigarettes uh, for, for years. Uh, I get that. Um, so there's a harm reduction element to this for adults, but uh, I, I'm not prepared to, to uh, uh, allow our kids' health to be harmed yeah. because we're not doing enough to keep these products out of the hands of our youth. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm um, you know, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers here. I have been very careful not to make this a partisan issue. If we can't check the partisan politics at the door and focus on the health of our kids, I don't know what we can do. Uh, uh, I was disappointed that the, the health minister, Adrian Dix, yesterday said that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the former government brought in a regulatory regime that clearly is not working, and so we have to fix that. Um, I, I don't know why he's making this political, but let's just get yeah. on with the action. Um, six sure. months ago, private member's bill was introduced. They have, uh, they have opted not to embrace uh, any of the ideas I put forward. Uh, what are your ideas, uh, Adrian Dix and John Horgan? What are you going to do to keep our kids safe? Let's get on with this. Well, Todd, that uh, unfortunately wraps up the time we have, but uh, thanks so much for coming in and talking about this issue. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, very important issue uh, for our kids. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, that's, of course, Kamloops uh, South MLA Todd Stone reacting to uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry confirming the first probable case of vaping-related illness here 
in BC. Well, that about wraps things up for my show here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, if you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 9.